0: Because if you're looking to exude confidence in your tone, if you're looking to exude assertiveness in the way you're communicating even on a regular phone call, the way your shoulders are positioned, are they submissive or are they pushed back? The way your neck is positioned, are you bending down in submission again or are you upright holding yourself with dignity, directs how you communicate over a virtual call.
1: This is episode number four of Hustle with Harmeet, and you will be listening to my conversation with Meera Swaroop, the Impact Communication Coach. Welcome, everyone, to Hustle with Harmeet. My name is Harmeet Singh, and I'm your host for this show. Every week, I interview interesting personalities from across the globe. The insights and hacks shared by our guests will help you achieve a winner's mindset as well as inspire you to live a life full of passion and purpose. My special guest on the show today is Meera Swaroop. Meera is an army child who uses the charm of the olive greens to help people create an impactful first impression that lasts. Studied clinical research from Cranfield University, she led a career in healthcare for over 10 years in companies like Johnson & Johnson and Avenging Health. Eight years ago, she discovered her passion for personifying people and since then has led workshops on executive presence, likability, and difficult conversations. Her clients include the BCG, KPMG, Coca-Cola, and eBay. She aims to simplify communication for people in a way that allows borders to dissolve and communities to thrive. In today's episode, Mira has shared her insights on who is an impact communicator, how to exhibit positive body language in a virtual workplace, the art of saying no at your workplace, how to give feedback to your bosses and supervisors, how to respond to compliments from your colleagues and clients, how to write effective and powerful emails at workplace, the secrets of closing deals over a call through effective communication, how do introverts become better at striking conversations and a lot more. Before we begin, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and you may also connect with us on our Instagram page at the rate Hermeet for all the latest updates on our upcoming episodes. So let's jump into our episode number four. Hi everyone, I'm really excited to have Meera Swaroop here with us today. Welcome to the show Meera.
0: Hi, thank you so much, Harmeet. It's an absolute pleasure to be here.
1: I met Meera two years back while she was delivering one of her keynote speeches in Delhi. I clearly remember walking out of the room that day with tons of insights into the world of communication. Since then, I have regularly followed her work and really admire the impact she's making in this world with her work. Before we jump into our discussions today, Meera, I want to read out a quote by Tony Robbins. And it states, communication is power. Those who have mastered its effective use can change their own experience of the world and the world's experience of them. All behavior and feelings find their original roots in some form of communications, unquote. So Mira, here's what I want to ask you. What communication means to you? Who's an impact communicator? And why did you choose to become one?
0: Wow. That's a whole bunch of three questions that you asked me one after the other, and I'm gonna try my level best to be able to share the response to all of them. Um, thank you for asking, yes, what is communication? If I was to simply describe it, it would be communication is the process of sending and receiving messages through verbal and nonverbal means, including speech or oral communication, writing and graphical representations, and signs and signals and behavior. More simply, communication is said to be the creation and exchange of meaning. All creatures on earth have developed means in which to convey their emotions and thoughts to one another. However, it's the ability of humans to use words and language to transfer meaning that separates them from the animal kingdom. If I was to put this in other words, I would say we have the power to communicate in a way that no other species on this planet does because we have something called as empathy that helps us tap into what is a person feeling and what is the person's need basis which the communication can be built accordingly. Great. Yeah, that's, Great. that's how I would define communication, yes. And um, when you particularly asked me, Meera, who is an impact communicator? You know, uh, before you asked me this question, Harmeet, I hadn't really thought about it as much. But then since now you asked me if I was to put it down into words, I would say an impact communicator is someone who speaks consciously and effectively. It is someone who communicates with the intent to make a difference and move any situation towards progress. An impact communicator is someone who has the courage to say no and also the assertiveness to ask for what matters to him. Right. And an impact communication is impact communicator is that who values each word he expresses and uses it with empathy to build the relationships and in the process achieve his goal. That's how I look at it as an impact communicator.
1: Yeah. So it's something which comes straight from your heart
0: absolutely yes yes absolutely that's the intent behind being who i am yeah and to answer your third question uh, where you're particularly asking uh, how did i choose to become who i am today i call myself an impact communication coach so thank you for asking such a flattering question because it gives me a chance to absolutely so
1: awesome. <laughs> because i'm really curious to know what's the story behind uh, meera swarup as we all see today you know how did you shape up as an individual and why did you choose this particular line in the entire world?
0: Right. So allow me to go a little into uh, my history. I come from a very eclectic background. I am a complete army brat, um, and uh, that that's because my father was in the army. And then so were my grandfathers. People often interpret that because of this background of mine, they would always need to be in discipline with me, though that's not really the case. <laughs> Yet, um, I will give a lot of credit to this background to having me become present to what it means to have impactful relationships. It's thanks to this exposure of literally traveling all over the world. I've changed nine schools in 16 years of education, traveling all over the country, and getting an opportunity to interact with so many different cultures and start to realize the whole importance of how we project ourselves to others, and the whole experience of carrying yourself with a certain sense of presence. That's what I got from the Army fraternity. And that certainly gave me like a little nudge to move forward in where I am today. But it wasn't that simple to walk in here. So giving you a little further background, because I wasn't quite sure of what I wanted to do in life, I did my bachelor's in biotechnology, master's in clinical research, with the intention of following a career in clinical research. And uh, I have uh, been in the industry, in the healthcare industry, for ten years. Where in the first five years, I was working at Johnson and Johnson in clinical research, uh, where I was working on drugs like oncology, diabetes, asthma. And going forward, I did. I was heading the operations of another healthcare company called Abgen Health. But while I was doing this, and as this, as this career might sound very interesting to a lot many people when I talk to them, it certainly was. Yet, somewhere personally, I lacked fulfillment. And I started to arrive at, or I started to inquire, what is it that I inherently have that I could pass on? And I'm sure that I would find fulfillment there. So my journey started off by being an etiquette and grooming trainer. And I was moonlighting along with my work. I was also, I had done done a train the trainer course uh, by Miss Sunita Kanga based in Mumbai. And uh, she's a very well-renowned etiquette and grooming trainer. And I started to create business for myself in this space where I started to get the opportunity to train at corporates, helping people present themselves um, in a really good light when it comes to business etiquette, instant uh, first impressions, and uh, fine dining, and other spaces like that. And then as the journey evolved, I realized that people are looking for something even more specific as Mira, I know you'll get me to look good. Mira, I don't know how do I sustain it. Mira, I know for a first impression I'll crack it, but what does it take for me to continually keep building on that relationship? I sense I can't seem to keep it alive. Somewhere my words fall short. Sometimes I don't ask. Sometimes I want to tell and I can't. And all of it boiled down to, wow, what's really missing is a sense of expression. And that's where the journey further tweaked into becoming an impact communication coach and offering to people what would have them be fully self-expressed. And that's quite my mission. Yes, to get the world to be fully self-expressed.
1: I really love that, Mira. So taking this uh, conversation ahead with you, Mira, there is a saying, there are decades where nothing happens and then there are weeks where decades happen. Something similar has happened with our workplaces also. They have gone through drastic change and they have turned virtual. In-person interactions have drastically reduced. Important conversations are not taking place online. So in such a changing environment, how does an individual exhibit a positive body language? Because body language has always been a crucial and critical part of our workplaces. So your take on that.
0: Fantastic question, Harmeet. Um, body language plays a crucial critical role uh, in not just the workplace, but in any form of communication that we want to do. So I'd like to answer this question in two parts. Uh, One is your body language certainly matters when you're on camera. And then I'd also say that your body language matters even when you're off camera. And and let me put it together. So in this virtual world where we're practicing the skill sets of being more and more present virtually, physically, uh, being visible to people on camera, uh, your body language plays a critical role. And and I'd like to break it down. Your body language at any point in time is literally three things. Your facial expressions, your hand gesture, and your posture. So let me give you something as simple as what's your posture going to be like. If I would say your posture, I would say how much of your body can you physically make visible to the other person? Can we be aware that the most appropriate ratio that we can reach, or let me say it differently, the most appropriate uh, snapshot that we can offer of ourselves to anybody is right from the surface of our head till about reaching our chest. So if this is this body space that is easily visible to somebody on camera, whenever we are facing somebody on a call, that makes a significant difference to how the person perceives us. Then even smaller nuances, are we centered in the frame? Or are we like to one edge or the other? If you're like centered in the frame again, it shows that you took the time to position yourself to be visible in front of the camera because you're present to how much your presence matters. Wow. Breaking down your body language further, Now, like I said, your body language is three parts. Your posture, your hand gestures, your facial expression. About your hand gestures, it's beautiful that when you're conversing, you actually allow your hands to be visible. You could literally use your hands to project information forward. Like you could say, I have two things to say and physically show them on your fingers while talking about it. You could say, I have plan A and plan B, and you could literally... Indicate plan A with your right hand and indicate plan B with your left hand, immediately giving the person a visual of two options or two different things that you're speaking about. So use your hands because anything animated attracts attention. People want to be able to associate, people want to look. It brings up your compellingness when you're connecting with people virtually. And the third thing, when we're talking about your facial expressions, of course, keep a smile. And then let's talk about how do you make eye contact? Eye contact is so tricky in the virtual world. And I want to give this to you right here, Helmi. I haven't got a chance to express this anywhere really, but I'd love to express it on your podcast. Shoot it. Thank you. When on a virtual call, A, please take the opportunity to switch on your camera because your visibility makes so much of a difference. B, whenever you're presenting, look at the camera not at the person and worse, not at yourself. Your power to be fully self-expressed for the person to absorb your presence, to have your influence be made, to have your message be absorbed. When you look into the camera, people buy into what you're saying. Now you look at the other person when the other person is speaking, but then the moment you're talking and you're clearly talking for a minute and over, focus on the camera, it is so much worth practicing this skill. I'm practicing this right now, even if we're on a podcast that's only audio. But that's the power of this, that it it gives such a compelling purpose to express what you're expressing. So that's the part where I talk about your body language matters when you're on camera. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Talking about how much your body language matters uh, off camera is also so true. Something as little as if you are receiving a phone call Can you be present alert through your body language as well? The minute we slouch, the minute we take it in a lying down position, the minute we are so casual about it, that same air and tone flows through in our voice to the other person. So if we want to bring in sincerity in the conversation that we are causing, our body language needs to be aligned to it. And it works in the other direction as well. Because if you're looking to exude confidence in your tone, if you're looking to exude assertiveness in the way you're communicating, even on a regular phone call, the way your shoulders are positioned, are they submissive or are they pushed back? The way your neck is positioned, are you bending down in submission again or are you upright holding yourself with dignity directs how you communicate over a virtual call? I hope this was helpful.
1: Totally makes sense. I'm loving it. I'm loving our conversation uh, today, Mira. Because you're dropping bombs of information today. And like, this is good stuff, listeners. You're not going to get this anywhere. Exclusive insights into the world of communication straight away from the best person in the world, I would say, Meera Swaroop.
0: So, thank uh, you so much.
1: So, taking this discussion in the context of workplace ahead with you, Meera, sometimes we are bombarded with a lot of work on a daily basis. And it becomes difficult for me to say no to them. I feel as if I'm going to be the one guilty, it might send a negative impression, it might send a wrong message. So is there a way we can come out of that? So to summarize it, what's the best way? Or is there an art of saying no at workplace?
0: Wow, that is like such a gem of a question, because it's it's something that the workplace is really uh, concerned with in these current times, isn't it? Absolutely. Right. So, um, you know, you asked me a question that says, "Mira, is there an art of saying no at the workplace? And and b- before that, the, the the context that you said is, Mira, how does one say no? And I'd like to split this answer again into two parts. You know, there are two parts to the art of saying no. One is knowing how to say no. But an even more important, or I feel an equally more important, is knowing when to say no. Yeah. The how will come so intuitively, so automatically when the when is so clear, right? right? So so I'd like to give a few few tips or some pointers that could be very practical takeaways for our audience today, um, which I also offer to my participants when I'm training them and, and to give them some time to reflect on discovering their when, like when to say no. How do you even identify that, oh, this is a space to step up and say, hello, I can't do it.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Right. So what I'd like to share with you is um, a set of three to four points. So allow me to just start creating them instantly. The first would be reflect on any time when you said yes, but regretted it. Hmm. That will give us ample space to remember and recall. Yes, you know, these were the moments when I took on more than I could handle. These were the moments when I said yes a little too early. These were the moments that when the yes was said and I had not thought through it, I was managing or dealing with so many consequences that it had a bigger impact. Right. Right. And while people are reflecting on on any such occasions, like going back into the past and looking at, hey, when has this happened in the past? What happened? How did it impact me? People will start to come to the second level of discovery, which is starting to understand what is it about me? that I don't find it comfortable to say no. For instance, one discovery could be, you know, I I don't like to say no because I am scared of the repercussions that may happen from the other side. I feel obliged. I feel like I don't have a choice, even though somebody may have given a choice, but that just doesn't fall in their ears because they feel if I say no, there'll be repercussions which will not be in my favor. That's one. So a request sounds like a demand to them. That's how that's how life is. Right. Uh, second, some people hate saying no or just can't get themselves get themselves to say no is because they're guilty. They're guilty that if I don't step up and say yes, uh, I would have missed out on helping somebody. Or you know, if I didn't do it, who else would do it? That that experience of, oh Lord, I made a mistake. I should be available. How can I say no? It's that. And though it's coming from a space of wanting to give, it unknowingly turns out to be almost like a doormat situation where we are allowing people to trespass all over us because we haven't identified, hey, this is my boundary. And it's a safe boundary to claim. There's nothing selfish about it. I can claim it. And then there is a third category of people who just can't get themselves to say no because they... Don't identify that, oh, this will lead to consequences. They're like, oh, I'll handle it. Oh, it'll all be done. They're not present to this is going to lead somewhere and I'm not ready for it. So
1: yeah.
0: so these three categories sometimes in entwine, sometimes play out differently. But usually when people are present to this, when they're present to their patterns, when they're present to, hey, what happened that I am now overwhelmed? What happened that I couldn't say a no. If they start to listen to their patterns, it would open up such a gamut of space to start operating from. So that's the number one, I think, like reflect reflect on it.
1: Yeah.
0: Second is, um, very, if very specifically within the reflection space, if you can start listening to our feelings, like what is my feeling apart from overwhelmed? Um, what was my feeling when somebody had asked me that question? Was I feeling obliged? Was I feeling in any way threatened was I feeling in any way um, unclear it could be a lot of feelings and if we can start to get present to the feelings because once the feelings are sorted we can then start to train ourselves in the communication that will address those feelings it is a deeper science but my first invitation is can people start getting present to this is how they're feeling Third, give yourself permission to stay within your defined limits. And fourth, identify your priorities. So let me clarify what I mean by defined limits. Many people who are learning about their own limits so that they know when to say no, find that experience feels like self-doubt, like they're feeling self-doubt, they're feeling fear, they're feeling guilt. Remember that this is not a selfish thing to say no. And that saying no can be a way to take care of your health and well-being. Right. When I talk about identifying your priorities, this is a little, not a little, actually, this is a homework that I give to all my participants. I make it sound like it's little because it really consumes only five minutes in the morning and five minutes at night.
1: Bring it on, Meera. Bring it on.
0: (laughs) Sure. So I'll be happy to. So this is called the concept of journaling. And though journaling is like one of the best models of self-reflection, journaling is something that I give a certain structure to when I'm offering it to my participants and primarily the structure is um, the three questions that out of that structure that I would like to give here is in the mornings if they could write, what will make today awesome? So right as the morning is beginning, what are the three things that will make today awesome? So, they would write something in the realm of work, something in the realm of personal space, something in the realm of a relationship. It could be anywhere. But they start to write this on a regular basis. Similarly, towards the end of the day, what do I acknowledge myself for? And the next question to ask yourself again at the end of the day is what could I have done better? The purpose of asking these questions is you start to catch a pattern. What are my priorities? what matters to me. If this matters to me, I am so not stepping over it. The purpose is to discover, hey, this is what matters. And if I, the minute I sense that something else is coming my way, and it can invade into what matters, I will instantly in that moment, step up and say, sorry, this doesn't work for me. I can't do this right now.
1: I picked uh, a couple of interesting insights from what you said, Mira. Yeah. One is uh, the importance of me time. You know, so your office might end at six in the evening, but it's important that you, when you come back from your office or on the weekends, just give 20 minutes, 15 minutes of time for yourself. Reflect on the day went by, introspect on the kind of things you probably would have done in a better way. Because unless you do that, you will not be able to, classify in all these four segments you talked about, Mira, where I'm fitting in, what I did wrong, where I went wrong. Because if you're moving in the same flow, if you're moving with the wind, going to office, Monday to Friday, doing the same stuff, same thoughts, then you're going to get the same results. Because what has brought you here today will not take you tomorrow to the next level. So the next level of thinking has to elevate you. It has to take you to the bigger things in life. So that was one. And second is uh, the importance of writing, you know. As yeah. someone said, a short pencil is better than a long memory. Sure, so it's cool. important that you write down your thoughts. So Mira, I've been in working in corporate for almost eight years now. There are occasions, there are times when, although it happens very rarely, but there are moments when my boss comes to me and asks me, Harmeet, we had a good last three months. We did our numbers and everything. So is there any kind of feedback you want to give to me? So in such moments, I'm not sure whether to call it a difficult conversation or not. But in such moments, how do I give feedback to my bosses or to my supervisors for whenever such discussions do take place?
0: Hmm, hmm. Harmeet, may I say, aren't you the luckiest to have a manager who steps up and asks you, can you give feedback on me? Isn't that powerful? <laughs>
1: <laughs> or, or what if what if uh, my manager doesn't even come back to me and I feel like going in and giving him a feedback? So what do you Precisely. say to that also?
0: Precisely, right, right. I, I thank you for setting context for both places. And, and I'm so happy that you work in a play- workplace that allows you um, the space to share what's on your mind about your manager. Because I come from a place of, um, so inspired by John Baldoni, He's a leadership consultant and also the author of uh, Lead Your Boss, The Subtle Art of Managing Up. So he says that the leadership is all about perception. If leaders do not know how they are perceived, their performance will suffer. However, the higher up in an organization a leader sits or the, the way he rises up, the harder it gets for the leader to get honest feedback. Out of two reasons, people don't step up out of a sense of fear. And the leader fails to ask because he gets caught up with so many responsibilities. And your input can help your boss in so many ways to make critical adjustments in their behavior, their approach. But giving this type of feedback requires a careful thought. And that's what I'd like to share with you. Number one, relationship comes first. What do I mean by that? Two things, actually. Even before you tread to give feedback, can you ask yourself, do I have a strong, credible relationship with this person? Like you have a relationship with a parent, a free-flowing one, or you have a relationship with a spouse and a free-flowing one, where you feel the freedom to get up and say, hey, honey, something's not working and I want to share that with you. Or you'd walk up to your father or somebody in his position of authority in the house and say, papa, whatever you said, I don't agree with it and I want to share my point of view. It's because there is an invested relationship already there. Right? So you want before you even go around walking into that difficult conversation, you've got to be very clear that you have earned, I'm gonna say it for the lack of a better better phrase here, you've earned those brownie points to be able to step up and have that conversation. Right?
1: As I say in public speaking, on the right.
0: Yes, yes. Have you earned the right? And and I also say relationship comes first because. Are you saying what you're saying because you want to be right? Or can I invite you to instead be kind? Wow. It is a very precarious space to be. It is very sensitive space to be where you've got to take a call on. Hey, is this even worth telling? Right. And and am I just saying it because, oh, it's in the moment? Or is this something that has a bigger consequence or an impact? If it doesn't if it's something that just happened one off can we identify it and let go of it because being kind at that moment much matters much more than being right
1: right makes sense
0: thank you now you ha- you are at a you are at a benefit because your leader walks up to you and asks you i'd like to hear feedback from you so could you specifically tell me what it is to others who want to give feedback and are not being able to give feedback this is what i would say to them wait to be invited or ask to be invited So if you can wait to be invited, that's beautiful. But then if it's such a burning situation and you're sensing that something in his behavior is turning out to be a pattern, it is turning out to be something that is causing causing recurring consequences, which you are finding difficult to deal with, then yes, please bring it up. But how? Literally a statement as good as, um, for instance, you know, uh, his name is, uh, I'm I'm popping up a name right now. Suppose his name is Rajat. And you say, uh, Rajat, I would like to have a moment with you. Uh, about twenty minutes. When is a good time? And he says, "Sure, now is good time." Great. Um, I have some. I, I have something that I'd like to share with you. Uh, do I have the permission to share something that I take responsibility may not land so well? And and you're stepping up. You're saying, "I'm, I'm I take the responsibility because I'm sharing something of a sensitive nature." Can I share something with you? Absolutely privately. And you're bringing up the sensitivity of the conversation with that context setting. Then comes the part, how do you put it together? Now, what matters is, now in any difficult conversation, if we can be aware that can we separate what happened from the experience? What happened, or let's take an example, what may be happening regularly is that your manager calls for meetings that barely have a 15 minute turnaround. So he gives you a call or he sends a message on the group. Okay, 15 minutes. I want everybody to get onto a call right now. I have something urgent to discuss. And it literally means, okay, drop whatever I'm doing and come to that meeting. So as much as you were getting used to it and you're like, okay, boss is asking for it, but you got to go. But with your building responsibilities, you're realizing this is not working for you. I mean, especially if you're looking for a very structured way to work, it doesn't work for you to just suddenly pop up on a meeting. So in that moment, can you say, Rajat, when you schedule meetings where we need to be there within 15 minutes versus, Rajat, when you ask for ad hoc quick turnaround meetings. So, So ad hoc or unorganized or any other way that you would describe your experience of the same event, the more observation, the more factual you can get, the better it is. So separate your observation from the experience and describe what happened. Absolutely. You go to what is the impact. So Rajat, when you uh, invite us to come on to meetings where we have 15 minutes to step into them, the impact is that we or I, if you're talking for yourself or you're talking for the team, you define that. When you invite us uh, into a meeting in which I need to be there within 15 minutes, the impact is that I end up losing flow of what I was already doing and that sometimes impacts the final productivity I have at work. I am bringing this to your attention because my productivity matters and I'm sure yours also does when it comes to the whole teams. And I'm taking right. the liberty to share this with you. Now comes the real part. Whatever you state, could you state it as a request? Something that the person can action upon versus, hey, there's a problem. I wonder if you've seen the problem. The problem has an impact. And we just keep dancing around on that subject. Can we guide the conversation to, Rajat, it would be so much better that we get a day's advance notice that you would like to schedule a meeting and we'll come prepared. We'll come sorted. But that one day advance meeting notice just completely changes the game and allows us to finish our meeting so much faster. Right. A request at the end of it, if you have a solution to offer, would be absolutely great versus telling somebody, stop doing this, don't do this. Don't do versus do this. Do this is so much more powerful. Yeah.
1: Thank you, and for bringing this up because it's a small nuances which we do come across on a daily basis and we overlook them, or we miss them. But this is going to come in handy to us in our everyday life. So. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, going from giving feedback to the bosses or talking to the bosses, uh, slightly different direction. How about, or is there a way I can respond to compliments from my colleagues and clients also, Meera?
0: Oh, lovely. Yes. <laughs> so, I remember sharing this in one of the videos that I did. And, and you know, I invite all your audience to um, to look at uh, my YouTube channel as well, that I cover quite a few subjects in communication. So, this one I particularly okay. remember. So, thank you for taking this question on, Harbid. Um let's first of all look at why do I mean okay, people give us compliments and, and many of us are tongue tied about it because we don't know how to respond to compliments. We we don't necessarily receive them with arms wide open. There is this yeah. sense of doubt in our head. Does he mean what he's saying? Is there any truth? Right. <laughs> or or even the experience of like what is the big deal? You know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, we are not used to compliments, also, maybe
0: precisely, precisely. <clears throat> and at the same time like i believe there's so much power like the purpose of communication is that can the relationships bind together when someone gives us a compliment the person is doing it with the intention of connecting with us can we give the other person the experience that yes the connection is happening that yes i am receiving. yes i am wholeheartedly in this right It's such a subtle thing to do, but it's such a beautiful connection point. So when somebody does give you a compliment, some beautiful phrases that are my absolute favorites, and I'm happy to share them with you is, thank you for saying that. You could say, thank you for your kind words. Or you could say, you're so kind. When somebody's thanking us or complimenting us that we helped them, Suppose we gave them some help and then they are thanking us for it or complimenting us for it. Many a times I hear people say, no worries, no problem. And I scringe. I literally scringe because I'm like, when you say no worries, when you say no problem, (laughs) you are diminishing the whole effect or the whole impact of what you did. It's like you're right. saying, you no, know, it was bath That's the, it's okay.
1: It's okay. <laughs>
0: that's, that's the impression that's going on. And I know when somebody's stepping up and saying, Hey, thank you for helping me out, you're so kind. How about you respond saying, I'm glad I could help? I'm glad you saw so value in it. As you it, it can be so powerful to just say, Thank you for asking for help. I'm so glad I could. You know, it's 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 about allowing the connections to stay stronger and stay connected.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Mira. And as they say, great communication begins with the connection. Ah, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, something which I want to bring to your notice also, Mira, is uh, the importance of emails in our everyday lives. Mm-hmm. Every day, we have to send m- multiple emails at workplace. Also, sometimes even the Vocabulary is also taken for a toss because of the limited time available to write the emails. So, any recommendations for writing effective and powerful emails at the workplace in the shortest time possible?
0: Sure, sure. So, what I'd like to offer you, Harmeet, is like a set of tips that I, I believe can get into action immediately. The first thing that I'd like to give away is emails are written with the intent of quick interactions. I know that the chats and texts can be one of the quickest set of interactions, but emails are written with the purpose of, I have something longer, more robust, more structured to share, and I am looking for a swift response. So that your email gets priority over a whole load of emails that usually get downloaded in somebody's inbox, your subject line needs to be screaming attention in a very subtle way. And I believe one of the beautiful ways that a subject line could attract attention is when the subject line speaks of the action that the reader needs to take. I'll give you an example. For instance, if you are sending out a report that needs to be reviewed by your manager and you labeled the subject line as project review or you said uh, project update and that's all that was there in the subject line and you sent it out imagine the power of you stating a subject line that said, project update, please review. That alone will immediately give the person an insight into, oh, this is something that I need to take action on.
1: Call to action.
0: Absolutely, a call to action. It could be something like this as well. Uh, Meeting time, uh, meeting time, dash, polls invited. Polls invited is, hey, I need to respond to this. This is not just a FYI kind of an email. The minute right. you are sending an F.I. email, you can mention that in the subject line. You mention the subject and you write F.I.I. for your information. But your po- the chances of your email being opened and being responded to go up significantly higher the minute you state an action within the subject line. The second thing that I'd like to share with you for the purpose of emails is that within the body. One structure that allows crispness where you don't have to dance too much into finding reference, a quick structure is who is doing what by when. Okay. So when I'm saying who, who is, so who, who is doing what by when can be structured into two parts. You might be reporting that I am doing this by this much time, or you might be asking, that so-and-so, please do this by so-and-so time.
1: Fixing responsibilities.
0: Precisely. Precisely. So if your emails can literally say, okay, Kavita will have this done by so-and-so time or by so-and-so date, it gives so much clarity about, okay, this is what I can expect because of this email versus I'm stuck between sentences about, hey, what's the point anyways, right? And, right. and and the third tip that I would like to give to everybody, I'm not getting paid to say this, but if you can install <laughs> uh, if you can install Grammarly um, as uh, as a suggestion for uh, any form of errors that you may be doing in your writing, um, it is very beneficial. It sometimes speeds up the, the speed with which you're writing. Certain errors get captured by Grammarly instantly. You can correct them, and um, and I, I swear by it. It is as good as it is. Yes.
1: I'm loving it, Mira, because I believe this podcast is turning out to be worth uh, six digit figures, I would say, because the the insights which are dropping, I I know I will have to shell a lot of bucks to get all these insights from you in your professional work. So thank you. Thank you. I I really feel blessed, you know, for having Um, you here today. I'm glad. Uh, So uh, moving ahead with you, Mira, taking this and shifting this conversation towards something which we do on a daily basis, and it's called sales. Whether or not you're professionally working into sales, you're always selling something or the other in your life, be it your ideas, products, or even convincing your spouse. Absolutely. So if I particularly talk about sales at the workplace, and this is something which I've also experienced is one in-person meeting is equivalent to almost 10 phone calls. But nowadays I am stuck at home. I have to talk to my clients over the call and sell them my services. So any tips for my communication in sales so that I become successful in closing deals with my clients over the call?
0: Wow. So there are two, I'd I'd like to respond to this uh, question in two ways Harmeet, right? The intent is to be able to crack in close connection with the client such that it converts into a sale, right? So causing a connection and then converting it into a sale, I see it in two parts and And for me, um, one of the principles that really drives sales, I believe, is the concept of likability. And I truly believe in this, where uh, I learned it from my coach and I'm passing it forward. In the journey of usually building relationships, we start from the step of know, like we know the person, K-N-O-W, we start to know the person, and then it goes to liking, and then it goes to creating trust. So imagine somebody starts to know you, he knows you first, like literally on like, oh, you're so-and-so, you work in so-and-so company, that's it, he doesn't know much about you. But then as he gets to know you, starts to interact with you, he starts to like you. And may I say, in that experience of liking, he isn't yet, he doesn't yet know much about you, but somehow, about, somehow with the experience of conversations he had with you, or the way you led the conversations, where less of your information got divulged more of his information got opened out is where the likability was being built. And then that journey goes towards trust. Unknowingly, many of us skip the whole likability step and directly from knowing the person, we start working towards building trust. How? We've grown up in an environment. I I, I, I love this word called culture scape. Like there's a landscape. There's something called as a culture scape. We grow okay. up in a world where there's culture scape and it tells us, Winning trust is important. To win trust, do the right thing. Do hard work. These two have really impacted the way we operate in relationships. For us, trust is doing the right work and doing the hard work. And that whole sense of connection, that whole sense of, hey, can I get to know this person a little better and understand what triggers him or what warms him and what is it that he values Can I come into that space? Because once that space starts to get dabbled with, the journey to trust speedens like no one's business. Wow. And if we can crack into that science, like, hey, what can I do to engage with this person beyond the checklist? What can I do to engage with this person and understand why does that checklist even matter to him? What in his inherent behavior makes him do what he wants to do? right right and and i believe that's the powerful space to create likability with your clients
1: what do you think absolutely mira and i'm just adding to what you said mira trust is a must because unless i have that trust that connect with my client i will not be successful in my professional selling world so are there any specific words you recommend mira one should avoid during a sales pitch
0: since since words is my strength I love to talk about what are the words to use and what are the words to not use. So thank you for asking that. So I'm going to give you five words, which I hear so repetitively across pitches. I have observed them with my clients when I work with them and I consciously try to pull it out of their pitches. Um, the first word is the word buy, B-U-Y. And, and, and ever, instead of telling a client, um, when you buy this from us, Instead, could we rephrase it to when you own this product or when you begin to experience our services or when you begin to own experiencing these services. So buy versus own, that's the choice. The second word that I see a lot of people use is the word honestly. And it has such an underlying tone every time it is spoken because the minute you bring it up in your conversation, it tends to give a meaning that every, anything you said before this was a complete lie. And, and people start to wonder, when do I really trust? And when do I sense back that this is just flippant conversation? So instead of using the word honestly speaking, I'd like to be honest with you. Instead of using such phrases, what would be more powerful is when people say, my experience suggests or the protocol says, or in my experience, this is what I have observed, and such. Right. The third word that i like to share is the word cheap. And even though we might want to tell people, hey, this product has a very, very low price to it, we end up saying, can you imagine how cheap it is? It is so easy to fit into your pocket. And instead of that, could they use the phrase that says, it's great value for money? This has been so thoughtfully put together so that people get real value. Like that's the power of driving the message. Right. The fourth word I would recommend people not use is the word price. Somehow that word has an energy that allows the other person to shop around. And you want to break that journey sooner. So you begin to, in your language, instead of saying this comes at a price of, could you instead say, this comes at an investment of so-and-so amount. Right. It's not just, oh, it's a finer word to say, somehow the energy of this word starts to cause more stability versus the other one. And the fifth word, the word that I, again see a lot of people use it's just as prevalent as the word honestly the word the fifth word I'd like to offer to you is the word basically so basically is is so often used by us when we want to simplify the message down in other words I'm going to say we like to dumb it down and that can be often misinterpreted as I'm not so dumb that you have to dumb it down for me so could we instead of using the word basically, could we could we use the phrase in other words? Or if I was to put it another way, and then you build on it. So this is how you structure your, uh, or you choose your words appropriately whenever you're building your pitch. I believe words are great, the intent matters even more. So while the intent is in place, a word here or there wouldn't break the intent as much as we fear it does. So the most perfectly built pitch would not land as impactfully if the intent wasn't in place. So if the intent is to create value for the customer, yeah. I believe magic happens. The words just flow.
1: Wow. Wow. I think talking about words, like I, I just uh, remember that song by Boyzone. It's words and words. are all I have to take your heart away. So it's important to use the words in the best possible way. And words here and there can change your lives. Also,
0: true, true.
1: So thank you for those uh, five pointers and a fifth one, the basically one. I felt like that was a bonus one. Tell so, me, thank you, thank you. Moving ahead, this couple of scenarios I want to keep before you, Mira. So here's the scenario number one. There's an introvert person, right? So a lot of people who are introverts who are not able to express themselves properly. So how do introverts become better at striking conversations with other people in life?
0: Mm. You know, you speak a very fabulous question and you ask a very, very, very good question, Harmeet, because um, this is one of my favorite subjects. I cover a subject called small talk. And, and when I teach it uh, to my participants or when I'm leading a workshop in, a, in, a, in, in any firm, um, it's usually the introverts in the room who are the most unsettled. You will see their body language just moving away and they're like, OK, we're starting <laughs> on something I need to do. <laughs> and, and it is amazing to see how by the end of the session, they're all so moved and gunning to get into the conversation, I, I say this because one of the things I'd like to share with every participant out there is small talk may be a subject that might make us shrink the minute we hear it because we are introverts. And I say that because I am an introvert myself and and i and i share and i speak when i when i believe there's a message that's worth going out but given a chance i would like to just sit in my blanket hold a cup of coffee take a book and have no conversation with the rest of the world because i like my space and i would love to just spend time doing that what i would like to get the introverts present to is that in fact they have the ability to have the most meaningful conversations introverts aren't the same as hesitant people, introverts are the people who find it way out of their comfort zone to even start a conversation. It's not like they can't handle a conversation. They don't want to start it. Why? Because for them to keep a conversation going is tough work. They don't want to talk too much about themselves. They're like, after a while, I don't want to keep hearing my own voice. So what is it that I can do that small talk happens, but I'm not so involved? And that's quite the secret to it. That's really quite the secret to it. I believe extroverts can also equally adapt to it. The secret is, can the conversation be less about you and more about the other person? And while you're driving it, the key formula is, can you be curiously interested in who and what the other person is. Right. Can your questions be completely directed to what is that person's opinion? There are, of course, there will be factual based conversations. The minute we're meeting people, we're having conversations around COVID 19 so many times. Whenever we're meeting people virtually, we're having conversations on COVID 19 time and again. I believe the beauty is when you can start to take factual conversations to a level of opinions. Like, what's this person's opinion on what's happening right now? And then taking it to a much further level by asking for, hey, what does it feel for that person to be experiencing this right now? Each one of us is absorbing COVID-19 very differently. Each one of us comes from a very different space. Can we make the conversation about what is his opinion? And what is he feeling Because that's really going to drive the conversation deeper. The introvert has no talking to do. They just need to ask questions. It's the other person who's talking.
1: That's how you get started. Yeah. Yeah. So here's here's the second scenario, Mira. It's a hypothetical one. I'm stuck in a lift with the CEO of my company. We're meeting for the first time. I really want to make an impact and discuss a few points such as company policy, culture, and vision. So how do I begin such a conversation in the first place with my CEO? Your take on that?
0: Beautiful, beautiful. You know, first of all, I want to say as much as you're saying you'll be stuck in the lift. I think it's going to be like, I found myself in the lift with him. <laughs> so it's like, yay! <laughs> Opportunity, struck in struck time, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, here is the space I'd like to say. Um Whenever we're looking to create a connection with somebody who is in a leading position because they probably have more experience than us or um, uh, they, yeah, primarily I'll say with the minute we are in the company of somebody who we clearly notice have more experience with us, we could begin to direct the conversation to, um, it's a pleasure to find myself with you. Can I take this opportune moment to ask you? And then you direct a question where you seek his advice on something that matters to you. If you could put it in the context of the organization, if you could put it into the context of something that senior leaders spoke of very recently, like if you just recently uh, know that he put up a post on LinkedIn and it spoke of a particular place, if you're aware that he writes articles and you read it, or he just walked out of a room where he made a speech, and can you ask a question pertaining to that? But you could say, I heard you say this. Could you tell me a little more? How does it directly apply to somebody in my position? You could ask further things like, what is your opinion on the COVID-19 impacting our industry today? Something as simple yet significant. The rule that I'm offering or the tip that I'm offering here is, Involve the person in a conversation where it's not about you, but again, it's about that person's opinion and how does he feel that things will pan out. Right. There is experience in front of you. Can you find a way to tap into it? You are not doing this to be manipulative. You're not doing this for any other hidden purpose. When you're in the presence of company, which is more experienced than you, wow, can you find a way to absorb all of it coming your
1: way. Beautifully put that one, Mira. Thank you. Okay, so now we are towards the last leg of our episode, and here's what I call the one minute round. So I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions, Mira, and you'll have a minute each to answer them. Two books which you highly recommend everyone should read and buy.
0: So the two books that I like to recommend anybody to, um, to, to read is uh, the first one is called Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. And uh, the reason I recommend this is. This is one book that got me grounded in the power of being present. Even though I teach people executive presence, a much essential aspect of that is what does it take for us to be instantly present in a given moment? Because what I realize is your best potential, your best performance comes when you're completely present to who you are being in a given environment. And the second book that I highly recommend people read is so that it makes your life simpler is uh, this book called Difficult Conversations by uh, Bruce Patton, Douglas Stone, and Sheila Heen. And this is one one book I would recommend people pick up so that they can start to dare to ask difficult questions, talk assertively, have the courage to walk into a space and say no That's the book to go to.
1: Yeah. Couple of tips for digital etiquettes in post-COVID world.
0: Hmm, that's an interesting one. Okay. Uh, First of all, wherever you are on the digital world, switch on your camera. Be seen. Second, (laughs) could you be forgiving for any disturbances that crop up, whether they are technical in nature? or any background because we're doing work from home these days. So what, in whatever capacity, we can be forgiving of any disturbances. And third, since the nature of our conversations has shifted a lot to texts, all the corridor conversations have gone to texts, when responding to texts, whether email or chats, respond to what was said and not how it was said. We will be saving relationships by responding to the what and not to the how.
1: Uh, your role model.
0: My role model, Oprah.
1: <laughs> and any particular reason for that?
0: I'm in awe of how Oprah has literally built her life from scratch, and the amount of work that she does for humanity. I I am amazed at the kind of conversation she spurs, so that a certain Intent is addressed in the world. And what I absolutely admire about her is her ability to instantly switch on her empathy with no matter who she is interacting with. That's why.
1: Wow. Fabulous. Imagine you were still standing in a room, mm-hmm. and there's this younger version of Meera who walks in and stands in front of you. She looks into your eyes. And asks you one simple thing. What's the best way to live the life? So what will you say to this younger version of Meera? Mm.
0: I'd like to give her two things. Be kind to yourself. And and the second thing that I'd like to uh, reiterate to her. And I want to tell her. It's true. It's true. It's true. This is Maya Angelou's quote. People will rarely remember what you last said. But people will always remember how you made them feel. And I'm living that experience daily, day in and out. And I want to tell that younger Mira. it's true. So stick to it.
1: Amazing. And what's the best way for people to connect with you?
0: Thank you for asking, Harmeet. First of all, yes, my email address, it's mirameera at miraswaroop.com. I'm very happy to receive emails from people asking questions. I'm happy to explore conversations around anything when it comes to impact communication and executive presence. They can also reach out to me on my LinkedIn page, my YouTube channel, my Facebook page and Instagram as well. My purpose of maintaining these pages is because I keep posting value videos where people keep getting nuggets of practical information that can help enhance their communication game. And uh, yes, so that's that's where you can reach me. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Meera. And I couldn't thank you enough. What you have taught me and to all the listeners on this podcast is of immense value. This is going to come in very handy to all of us in our personal as well as professional lives and uh, I'm really glad I did this podcast with you today Mir.
0: I'm equally glad and thank you for the opportunity Hermit. like I said it is such a privilege to be here and I look forward to creating more magic with you
1: thank you Miran and all the best for your future endeavours
0: likewise I wish you the same take care
1: thank you thank you thank you for listening to this episode of Hustle with Hermeet. if you're listening to us on iTunes Please don't forget to leave a 5-star review on the Apple Podcast. If you're listening to us on Spotify, do click on the follow button. If there's any feedback from this episode, you may write to us on hermitspeaks at gmail.com. Also, do check out our Instagram handle at the rate hustlewithhermit for all the latest updates. I'll catch up with you all next week. And yes, remember, don't give up on your life and dreams. Keep working hard, keep moving ahead, and keep hustling. Because one day, your success will make all the noise. This is your host, Harmeet Singh, signing off. Goodbye.